0: Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Vanceville Road in 84 Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. morning morning. welcome in the name of the lord jesus christ glad you're here with us today our call to worship comes from the book of hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 therefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling consider the apostle and high priest of our confession christ jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him just as moses also was faithful in all of his house For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take our hymnals this morning. Let's open together to number 225. Come, Christians, join to sing. If you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing number 225. Christians join to sing Alleluia Amen Loud praise to Christ our King Alleluia Amen Let all with heart and voice before His throne rejoice Praise is His gracious choice Alleluia Amen Come your hearts on high hallelujah amen let praises fill the sky hallelujah amen he is our guide and friend to us he'll condescend his love shall never end hallelujah amen praise yet our christ again Alleluia, Amen. Life shall not end the strain. Alleluia, Amen. On heaven's blissful shore, His goodness we'll adore. As you, let's continue to praise the Lord. Number two hundred fifteen. When morning gilds the skies. When morning gilds the skies, my heart awakes. May Jesus Christ be praised. Alike at work and prayer, To Jesus I repair. May Jesus Christ be praised. The night becomes as day, When from the heart we say, May Jesus Christ be praised. The powers of darkness fear when this sweet song they hear. May Jesus Christ be praised. Ye nations of mankind, in this your concord find. May Jesus. Christ be praised let all the earth around ring joyous with the sound may Jesus Christ be praised now we're going to sing this last verse but I want to give you a challenge to do when we come to the words may Jesus Christ be praised try this try smiling when you sing it And nod your head. May Jesus Christ be praised. It's hard to do, but try it. Let's let's do the last verse together. Be this while life is mine, my canticle divine. May Jesus Christ be praised. Be this the eternal song through all the ages long. Christ be praised and all will be right with the world you may be seated requests let's join our hearts together as we seek the Lord in prayer let's pray God our Father we give thanks to you praise is your gracious choice uh, we don't we don't bring anything to you you don't you don't benefit from our praise but it is your gracious choice that you have made provision for our sins. You've brought us near to yourself through your son, Jesus. And now uh, we come as beggars having nothing to offer. And it's as though you say to us, I'll accept praise. That'll be enough. You don't have to worry about paying. Just say thank you. And that's enough. And, And we are thankful. We do thank you, God, that you've made a way that you've brought us near to yourself, that you graciously accept our praise, as imperfect as it is, you accept it. You receive the joyful noise that we make. You accept the prayer of the the humble and contrite heart that says, God, be merciful to me, because I'm a sinner, and I need mercy. We thank you, Father. You're good. You're good all the time. You're good when we don't deserve it. You're good to those who hate you. And you've called us to be perfect and mature and fully developed in that same way, just as you are, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us. Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would enable us by your Spirit, to do these things, to to grow up into the very image of Christ, to to bear a striking resemblance to our Father. That someone might be able to say, boy, he or she, they're a chip off the old block. Help us to be like you. We thank you for the church that you have called out in the name of Jesus Christ. We we thank you for the fellowship that we have as brothers and sisters. We thank you for the the support and encouragement that we're able to give to one another in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we pray for those requests that have been mentioned here today, those who, are, who have been traveling. We thank you for protection on the highways and byways. We pray for those who will be traveling. We ask for protection and your, your care for them as they, as they put miles down the road. Father, we pray for those who have suffered injuries recently. Uh, Terry shared about some who suffered injuries on the trip and we just pray for their healing, their recovery. Father, we uh, lift up our nation to you. Lift up this country in prayer and we, we beg and plead for it that there might be repentance that you give more time more time for people to repent and And turn from their sins and turn to you in faith, trusting the work of Jesus Christ, the sufficient work that can save. We pray that you would uh, give wisdom, guidance to our leaders. We pray for, for President Trump, for Governor Wolf, for all of our elected and appointed leaders and people of influence. We pray for their salvation first and foremost, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth that they would know you through faith in Jesus. And we pray for wisdom for them, that they would be able to govern and lead in ways that are righteous, ways that are just. And we even boldly pray that if there would be some that are rebellious and unwilling to govern and rule in ways that are right and just, that you would mercifully remove them from those offices and replace them with men and women who will seek to govern and rule in ways that are righteous and just and honoring to you. Father, we pray for our church. We pray that you would bless this little chapel, that you would use it, use us to be faithful witnesses, to be faithful testimony to the saving grace in Jesus Christ, that we would be faithful to share that good news with our families, our friends, uh, our neighbors. Father, we pray that you'll bless our time together in the word in worship and in praise that, that we would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth as you desire people to worship, not, not according to mere ritual and tradition, but in spirit and in truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray amen take your hymnals one last time uh, open to 196 oh we'll make this a fast one you know the tune you may remain seated it's "O oh, come let us adore him number 196 Come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We'll praise his name forever. We'll praise his name forever. We'll praise his name forever. all the glory, we'll give him all the glory, we'll give him all the glory, Christ the Lord. For he alone is worthy, for he God. Amen. And open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. If you're opening with me, it's Hebrews chapter 3. Two weeks ago, we saw that while many times in the past, God spoke to the people in various ways, sometimes dreams and visions. He spoke through prophets But it says that in the last days of the old covenant of Moses, God spoke to his people in a very new way, a very unique way, a very final way. He spoke through his son. This was God's final word. This was God saying it as he could put it no other way. He spoke through his son. And then last week, we saw that this son, Jesus Christ, well, he wasn't just an ordinary man he was in fact better than the angels chapter chapters the rest of chapter one and chapter two made that point jesus better than the angels but today as we turn to chapter three we're going to see that the apostle is taking us to a new place he's showing us that jesus is better than moses Jesus is better than Moses. You have to understand the high regard that the Jewish people held Moses in. Moses was a very special prophet of the Lord. The scripture says that after him, there did not arise in Israel another prophet like Moses. There were many other prophets that spoke God's word to the people, but Moses stood in this unique position. Because the scripture says that there was no other man that God spoke to -to face-to-face like he spoke to Moses. Moses stood in this unique relationship to God. He was the one that God had sent down to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses says, who who will I tell them has sent me? And the Lord says, you tell them that The Lord, I am that I am, has sent you. Moses was uniquely sent by God. And then we know how through all of the the miracles, all of the plagues that struck Egypt, how the, the people of Israel came out of Egypt, and then they went through the wilderness and they came to Mount Sinai. And on Sinai, Moses goes up into the mountain, a thick cloud, thunder, lightning, voices, terrifying things, and he receives the law of God. And God gives to Moses not only the Ten Commandments, but somewhere around 630 commandments. Commandments that are going to structure and organize the nation of Israel. There are commandments that deal with right and wrong, justice. There are commandments that deal with what kind of food you're going to eat, how to be a special people for the Lord, separate from all of the other peoples of the world. There are commandments that deal with building codes. If you're going to have a patio on the top of your flat-roofed house, you have to build a parapet wall so high so that no one accidentally falls off. There's all kinds of commandments. Commandments that you need, laws that you need to order and structure a nation. And God gives all of that to Moses to give to the people. There's also commandments that deal with how to worship God. God gives Moses this plan, this blueprint for building a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. Pretty good sized tent, like you figure about the size of a church sanctuary. A place where the people can come to God through a priest. And they can draw near to God. And they can receive forgiveness for their sins. But it all has to be done through a priest. There's all kinds of laws, all kinds of ceremonies, all kinds of rituals that God has given to Moses. And we find out later on that all of these things that God gave to Moses were pictures. They were shadows, if you will. Shadows on a screen. Pictures that would point the way to something better. Something that would fulfill all of these things. But that was going to come much later. These things were in place to order and structure and guide the people of God until the time came when God would send the promised Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. The author of Hebrews is making his case as he goes through the book That that time is now. That time has come. The one that God has promised, he came. He came in the waning days of the old covenant of Moses. And he came and he preached peace to the people of God. And he preached peace to those who were far off. That's us, the Gentiles. And God had a plan to make of Jews and Gentiles both one new people. One new body that would be his people. So where does Moses fit into all of this? Remember, Paul is speaking to a Jewish audience here. These are Jewish people who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Many of them have believed on Jesus Christ, and they're still trying to wrap their heads around, okay, how does my new faith in Christ mesh with Moses and the law? And the temple in Jerusalem and all the animals that are still being sacrificed there. And all of the commandments and and the priests and the high priest. How does all of that fit together? And some of these Jewish believers in Christ are going to be tempted. They're going to be tempted in a way that you and I have a hard time understanding. This is how they're going to be tempted. They're going to be tempted whenever things get difficult. And life gets tough following Jesus they're going to be tempted to say well maybe I'll just go back maybe I'll just go back to the temple maybe I'll go back to the high priest maybe I'll go back to the old covenant of Moses and the purpose of the author of Hebrews is to encourage and challenge these Jewish believers that hey there's no going back if you go back, you miss out on everything that God has done to fulfill all of his promises to Israel. You can't go back. You can only go forward. And going forward means being faithful to Jesus Christ. So in today's passage, which we read for the, uh, the call to worship, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, I want to look at three points. The first of them is the Christian confesses Christ Jesus. We find it here in the very first verse it says, therefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling I want you to consider consider the apostle and high priest of our confession Christ Jesus now I, I almost need to back you up a few verses to the very end of chapter two where The apostle has been talking about Jesus Christ is a faithful high priest. We have a high priest who can be faithful to God. And at the same time, he can understand us. He can have compassion on us because he is one of us. That's the kind of high priest that we have. We have a high priest who is the son of God and the son of man. What a wonderful thing. And so the apostle Paul says here in chapter three, verse one, he says, because of this, because we have, that's what therefore means. A good preacher told me once, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. See why it's there. Therefore, because we have a faithful high priest who can understand us and have compassion and sympathize with us. Because we have that kind of high priest, then I want you to consider that high priest. I want you to think about the apostle and high priest that we confess. That's what it means here when it says of our confession. This is what we confess as Christians. What do we confess as Christians? What's unique? We confess that Jesus Christ is God's apostle and our high priest. Let's unpack this a little bit and see what it means because it's loaded. There's more here than you realize. Apostle. The word simply means one who is sent. Uh, To think of a modern-day equivalent, think of an ambassador of the United States who goes to another country, and he represents the government of the United States of America to that other country. He is one who is sent, and he is sent to represent. I guess, in a sense, you can think of our congressional representatives in that same way. These are men and women who are selected and appointed to represent The people, the district that they're from. An apostle is one who is sent. And whenever we encounter the word apostle in the scriptures, we usually find it in connection with the 12 disciples, right? These 12 that Jesus selected and appointed to be apostles. He sent them out to speak in his name. Peter, James, John, Matthew, you know the rest the apostles. And yet here in this verse, we have something very unique. It's unique because it's the only time in all of scripture that Jesus Christ is referred to as apostle. Usually it's Jesus's apostles that we talk about as being the ones who were sent. But here, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the apostle. In what way? Well, he was sent. He was sent by God. Remember the opening verse of Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us. How? By his Son. By the one whom he has sent. His apostle. John chapter 5. This is a good place to turn. John chapter 5, verse 23. And there's actually a number of verses we'll look at in rapid fire succession here, but they're all in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus is speaking and he's, he's telling the Jews that the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, verse 23, that all men should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Drop down to verse 30. Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Drop down to verse 36. Jesus says, but I have a greater witness than John the Baptist's witness. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me verse 37 and the father himself who sent me has testified of me you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe drop down to verse 43 it's the last one in the chapter we're going to look at jesus says i have come in my father's name In other words, I have come as his representative, uniquely appointed and set apart to represent the father to you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And that was not the verse I was looking for. I misplaced it. It's there, but I can't find it. But the idea is this. Jesus Christ is the one who was uniquely sent by God. Sent by God to represent God, to carry the name of the Father to the people. Jesus, in that sense, is God's apostle. But there's more to our confession as Christians. The Christian confesses that Jesus Christ is God's apostle, God's appointed representative to us. But we also confess that Jesus is our high priest. What does a priest do? An apostle is one who is sent What is a priest? A priest is one who stands in a position. A position to bring the people to God by making atonement. Making a sacrifice to cover their sins so that they can approach a holy God. The Christian confesses that Jesus Christ is the uniquely appointed apostle who was sent from the Father, and he is our uniquely appointed high priest who stands in a position to represent us to God and bring us to him by making a sacrifice for our sins. That's what we confess as Christians. That's what makes us different. Many others might might confess that Jesus was a wise man, that Jesus was a teacher and preacher of righteousness, that Jesus was a prophet, a prophet even sent from God. But the Christian confesses something very different. Yes, Jesus was all of those other things, but Jesus is uniquely that apostle sent to represent the Father to us. Remember what Jesus told Philip when Philip said, Jesus, just just show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you still don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I'm the one who represents the Father to you. The Christian confesses that Jesus is that apostle. The Christian confesses that Jesus is that high priest, the only one who can stand in a position to bring us to God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. There's only one who's uniquely positioned to be able to do that job. In short, the Christian confesses not that Jesus Christ is a way to God, and there will be many who will readily agree to that. Sure, Jesus Christ is a way to spiritual enlightenment, a way to God, but there are many other ways that are equally good. You'll hear many people hold to that, but that's not what we hold to. That's not what a Christian confesses. A Christian confesses that Jesus Christ is not a way, but rather He is the way, the only way, the exclusive way way and there is no other there is none other uniquely sent from god and there is none other who uniquely stands in a position to be able to bring us to god there's only one the way the truth and the life jesus christ so jesus christ the apostle and high priest of our confession but now as we get into verse two we're going to have a comparison Christ Jesus is compared to Moses. Let's take a look at these verses. It says that Jesus was faithful to him, that is, faithful to the Father who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus is compared to Moses in this way. Moses was faithful. He was a faithful man. Time and time again we saw as the people of Israel rebelled against the Lord. Moses was faithful. He called out and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Join me. I'm not going to depart from the Lord and be unfaithful like you folks are doing. Moses was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful in God's house. And this idea of a house, you have to to get the Jewish sense of the word. Whenever we speak of a house here, We're speaking of it in the same kind of sense that Abraham Lincoln used the word house whenever he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And yes, I know Abraham Lincoln was just borrowing from Jesus when he said that. A house, was Abraham Lincoln talking about houses? No. He was talking about the nation of America, wasn't he? The United States of America. He he was talking about during a time of civil war, if we're divided against each other, we cannot stand as a nation. He was using the word house in a much broader sense. And so it is here, I believe. Moses was faithful in God's house. What house are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the household of God, the household of faith. We're talking about God's people. We're talking about Israel. Israel, the household of faith that was in a covenant relationship with the living God. That made Israel unique from every other nation on the face of the earth. No other nation experienced the living God coming down and saying, I, of my own free will, am going to make a contract with you. And I'm going to bind myself to certain obligations to you. Not because you're a great and mighty people, not because you deserve it, but because I'm gracious and I'm good and I show mercy to thousands of people. That word thousands just gave the idea of like unlimited. As big a number as you can think, I'm that kind of God. I'm a mercy-showing God, and I'm entering into covenant. I'm entering into contract with you. So we're talking about the household of faith, the people of God. Moses was faithful in God's house. It says that Jesus Christ also faithful in God's house. But here's where the comparison turns into a contrast. Let's take a look. It says, "...for this one," that is Jesus, "...has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses." To the Jewish mind, this is almost inconceivable. How can someone be held in higher regard than Moses? He's the prophet that God spoke to face to face. He's the one who gave the law. He's the one who taught us about God. How can someone possibly be of a higher rank than Moses? And yet the author here says, oh no, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. How? How can that be? Well, it's in this way. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Now, there was a famous architect of the 20th century who built a famous house in our region of the country. How many of you have heard of falling water, right? Famous house, famous piece of architecture, wonderful house. But is the house itself worthy of more honor and distinction than the man who designed it? Of course not. It took a mind, it took an intellect, it took creativity and imagination to design A house like that. The one who builds the house is greater than the house itself. It's obvious, isn't it? Well, what's what's the point that's being made here? Verse 4. Every house is built by someone. Obviously, houses don't build themselves. At least not yet. We haven't seen that happen yet. Every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. God, the one who built the old covenant house when he came down on Sinai. Moses didn't build that house. Moses didn't order and structure that arrangement. The, the law, the commandments, the, the ritual for approaching God, the tabernacle, all of that was given to him. God established that. That was the house that God built. Years ago, Steelers fans, you may remember back when three rivers was being torn down. And they were gonna build Heinz Field. At the time, the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers was Cordell Stewart. Remember him? Number ten. And at the time, Dan Rooney said, he was trying to show that he had a lot of confidence in his quarterback. He said, This house, this stadium, this field, Heinz Field, this will be remembered as the house that Cordell built. We don't really remember it that way, I don't think, do we, Steelers fans? But he said that at the time. I remember that. God built a house. He built an old covenant house, the purpose of which was to show people their need for a Savior, so that when the Savior came, they would be ready to meet him and receive him. God built that old covenant of Moses. He built the house. Moses Was a servant in that house. Let's continue. Verse 5. Moses indeed was faithful in all of God's house. In all of God's household, his old covenant household, Israel. He was faithful in that house. As a servant. Moses was a servant of God. A servant who delivered that old covenant to the people. He was faithful as a servant. And and there was more to it. It says, For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. Uh, I want to try to quickly unpack this for you. Faithful as a servant as a testimony to those things which would be spoken afterward. Turn to John chapter 5 once again. John chapter 5. We were there earlier. I should have told you to stay there. John chapter 5. Verses 39 through 40, Jesus is speaking again. He says to the the Jews, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But the scriptures are they which testify of me. The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures that you search because you think that you're going to have eternal life, in those scriptures, those scriptures talk about me, Jesus says. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Dropping down to verses 45 through 47. Jesus says, do not think that I shall accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you. Who? Moses. Moses, the one in whom you're putting your trust Is the very one who accuses you. How does Moses accuse the Jews? Well, Moses was the servant through which the old covenant was given, the laws, the commandments, which everyone has broken. You're not going to find salvation in the old covenant, you're not going to find salvation in keeping the law. The law is the thing that accuses you to make you realize that you desperately need a Savior. You need Jesus. Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus says, you put all this confidence in Moses, you don't even get Moses. You don't understand Moses. Moses gave you the old covenant, which condemns you so that you can understand you need a savior. Moses wrote about me. And we can flip back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We can say, I don't see the name Jesus in here anywhere. Where did, where did Moses talk about Jesus Jesus' point is everything that Moses wrote about, the old covenant, all of it was a shadow play to help you understand God was sending a Savior who was going to fulfill all of that and then bring so much more. Moses wrote about Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't really believe Moses because you don't really understand them. How are you ever going to believe my words if you don't believe what Moses wrote? He wrote about me. Moses was faithful in God's household, and he was faithful to write these things, which would be a testimony of the greater things that were going to come. The old covenant wasn't the be-all and end-all. It was a temporary thing to point the way to a new covenant that was coming a new covenant in Jesus Christ, which was going to be far superior to anything that the old covenant could offer. Moses was faithful, but he was faithful as a servant. But look at how Jesus Christ is faithful. Verse six, but Christ is faithful as a son over his own house. There's a big difference there. Just as the one who built the house is greater than the house itself, so the son who is over the house is infinitely greater, not only than the house, but he's greater than the one who's a servant in the house. Moses was merely a servant in God's household. God built the house. The house of Israel, the household of faith. He built the old covenant and now he built the new covenant which supersedes the old covenant, far outstrips the old covenant, fulfills everything of the old covenant and so much more. God has built the house, the people of God, the household of faith which is now comprised of not only Jews but also Gentiles all together in one family, one body. No separation, no segregation, all together As the body of Jesus Christ, the household of faith. And Jesus Christ is the son who's in charge of that house. He's not only the one who made the house, he's in charge of that house. Moses was a servant. That's how Jesus Christ is better than Moses. That's how Jesus Christ is worthy of more honor than Moses. But let's continue quickly as we wrap this up. We're going to finish verse 6. Christ's household. What is it characterized by? If we were to describe Christ's household and sum it up in one word, what would that word be? Let's see if we can figure it out. Verse 6 says that Christ was faithful as a son over his own house. Whose house we are, whose household, whose family we are. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You can probably kind of put these words together to understand it this way. As a Christian, you have, whether you have realized it or not, whether you embrace it and actualize it every day or not, you have the basis for a confident, joyful hope. There are plenty of people in this world who don't have hope. But you have it. You have the basis for a confident, joyful hope. How so? Well, we go back to verse one because Jesus Christ is God's apostle and our high priest. He's the one who uniquely was sent by God. He's the one who uniquely stands in a position to bring us to God. He is the God-man who represents God to us and he is the man who is God in the flesh who represents us to God. He's the one uniquely positioned. He is the crossroads, if you will, if that helps you picture it. He's he's the nexus where it all comes together. And because, going back into chapter two, the end of the chapter, because we have this faithful high priest who's able to sympathize with us, who's able to understand us and have compassion on us, because we have this high priest, we have a confident, that that word means to boldly speak, Literally, to boldly speak, we have a confident, joyful kind of hope because of Christ Jesus. But what is the key? What is the characterizing word of Christ's household? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope from to the end, if we hold fast. In other words, if we are faithful to the end. Go back into chapter 2, right towards the end of the chapter. Verse 17, it says we have a merciful and faithful high priest. The key word here is faithful. Jesus Christ is a faithful high priest. He's faithful to represent God to us and us to God. He's faithful. And then we go into chapter 3, verse 2. What does it say about Jesus Christ and Moses, both men, were faithful in God's house. Faithful to the one who appointed them. Go down to verse 5. Moses indeed was faithful in God's household as a servant. Verse 6. But Christ, we have to insert the words here to, to carry the sense over. But Christ is faithful as a son over his own house. Faithful is the word faithful is the pattern here and it says if we we are his household we are his family if we hold fast and firm to this confident joyful hope we hold it fast to the end in other words if we're faithful faithfulness is what's required you know if you if I were to ask someone you know Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saved? And they told me, oh yeah, I did that years ago. I said a prayer at the end of a revival service years ago. If they answer me that way, you know what I'm doing? I'm being suspicious. I am suspicious because being faithful to the Lord, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that you did. It's not, I already got my ticket punched. I got my card punched. It's not something in the past that you did. It's something that you did and you are doing and you will continue to do. Are you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? I think that's a much better question to ask. Not, have you believed? Are you believing? Are you holding to that confession that Jesus Christ is that uniquely sent apostle from God who is that uniquely positioned high priest who can bring us to God? Are you holding on to that? Are you being faithful in that regard? It's not something that you did. It's something that you're doing and you're going to keep doing. Faithfulness is the word. Jesus Christ was faithful to the one who sent him. Just as Moses was faithful. But Jesus was faithful in so much a greater way. Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus is faithful as the son Who is not only over the house, but he built the house. He built the old covenant house. Now he built the new covenant house. The only way is forward. There's no going back. And we are called to be faithful. To hold fast to that confident, joyful hope. Hold it firm to the end. That's the test. Someone who walks away, who backs away from it. Did they ever truly believe? Hold firm to the end. Hold that faith. Be faithful as Jesus and and Moses were faithful. Be part of that household of faith. Christ's household. His family. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you. You have indeed built a house. And what a house it is. We're amazed at the house wherein you have brought Jews and Gentiles together. You've made us brothers and sisters of one family, one confession, one faith, that Jesus Christ is your uniquely sent representative. Jesus Christ is our faithful, merciful, and compassionate high priest who can bring us to you, and there is none other. He is not one way among many, but he is the only way there is help us to hold fast to the very end hold fast to this this faith that can make us confident bold joyful help us to be faithful to the very end we pray in the name of jesus your faithful son amen Mm -hmm. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.